Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling By Faith. And this is not just a series, but as we've said before, this is the theme for our year that we would be people that would live by faith. And we've been looking through Hebrews chapter 11 and we're reminding ourselves of the patriarchs of faith, those in the hall of faith that have gone before us. But I know we've said this is a theme for our year and we've got some cool signs in the lobby and now on the porch, but I would like to add to that and say this shouldn't be a theme for a series a year, but this should be the theme of our lives. The Bible says that we go from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And when I think about where I'm gonna be in five years or 10 years or where I'm gonna be as a sweet little old lady, I wanna be someone that's who, who is more full of faith tomorrow than I was today. And I just wanna encourage you, don't let this be a series. Don't let this simply just be a theme, but get in on this. Uh, we had in part of the gra- one of those graphics, it was by faith and like a fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank if you haven't already. What are you believing God for this year? What prayers are you praying? And the um, unbelievable things that you're like, without God, I wouldn't see this come to pass. So if you haven't done that already, take some time to write down your by faith statements. Amen? Well, uh, through this series, we've done a number of things, um, but before we get into it, I want to read our main text out of Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or it'll be up on the screen, and it says this, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. By faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word, world was framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In week one, we talked about this definition of faith, that faith is actually the confidence that we have that the things we hope for will actually happen. Faith is the foundation of Christianity. And faith is, and that foundation is the hopes that we have for the things that we would believe God to do and be. They're the the things that we put on top of that foundation, specifically our hope for salvation. And then in week two, we went into the first example and characters in Hebrews 11 of these patriarchs of faith, where we talked about two brothers, Cain and Abel, and both of them brought an offering to God. And it says that uh, Abel brought the first and the best, and Cain brought the leftovers. And we were reminded that we need to be people of God who bring the best to him, not the rest. And then we skip down, notice how I said skip down, to Noah and his story and his example of faith. And not only was Noah a man that walked with God when nobody else did, but Noah built something with his life. And we were reminded that as believers, by faith, we build something with our lives. Now, last week, uh, as Tim was preparing this message on Noah, I joked around with him and I said, hey, bro, you forgot one. Because it goes Cain and Abel and then this character called Enoch. And then we get to Noah. 
And I joked around, and then he came and preached, when he was preaching last weekend, he said, I was going to go ahead and tackle Enoch, this character between, because he forgot it. And I was like, but maybe I'm not going to. And the reason both of us were slightly apprehensive to talk about Enoch is if you're new to reading the Bible, when you begin reading it, you'll notice that there's not a lot about Enoch. We don't know a lot of details of his life. It's a very small portion of his life that's shared with us in Scripture. So I was really tempted to skip Enoch, and on Tuesday morning, I wasn't sure if I was going to preach about Enoch or if I was going to go on to the great father of our faith, Abraham. So I sat down and I reread Hebrews chapter 11, and I did what I think is the most important thing a pastor can do when preparing a sermon. I prayed. And instead of just sitting in my living room and praying, I'm like, I'm going to go out for a walk. Like, I, gotta, I need some fresh air, and I went out for a prayer walk. And as I was walking and praying, something in me just couldn't shake the simplicity of what was shared about Enoch. Although it was little, felt like there was something profound about his life. And more than that, there is an incredible declaration that's made in Hebrews 11.6 that I just couldn't ignore. So today, we will have to wait for good old Abe, and we're going to focus on Enoch this morning. So we're going to get right into this, and we're going to read this text and pray. You guys ready? Hebrews 11.5 is where we're going to pick up. It says this, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. How mysterious. But before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Verse 6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every detail of your word and how it has the opportunity to speak to us. Father, we open up our hearts to the simplicity of the text this morning, and I pray beyond the things that I have heard from you to prepare, I thank you that you sent us the Holy Spirit who can speak to us in greater ways than we may hear on a Sunday morning. So would you just invite him and say, Father, would you speak to me this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you're taking notes today, I want to give you a title for this message. And this title was inspired actually by point one of last weekend's message, which was Faith Walks. Now, Tim told us that Faith Walks. Well, I want you to keep walking. So you can write that down. Keep walking. Um, Before we begin to look at the life of Enoch, which we're going to do, I want to do things a bit backwards. Verse 5 talks about Enoch, but verse six says something that I want to focus in on because it was this portion of scripture that I could not ignore when I was walking on Tuesday. As it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And I kept asking myself this question, which you can write down. Heads up, there's going to be a few questions this morning. I maybe should have titled it just one big question mark for us. So if you don't normally take notes, grab your phone and jot these down. Uh, This first question, what I kept asking myself as I walked was this. What does a life that pleases God look like? What does a life that pleases God look like? Oftentimes when I'm trying to grasp something, um, 
within my relationship with God and I'm having a hard time grasping it, I often look to a earthly example of a relationship that I have. So when I thought about this question, I started thinking about when Tim and I first got married. Now, when you first get married and you haven't lived with someone before, it can be a little awkward. You remember that awkward, like, I'm so excited we're married, but also like, really, we're gonna share a space? Okay, bathroom, like all the things. You get to know a person in a greater way when you live with them. But we were also really excited to live together. And that excitement caused us to wanna do things to please one another. Now, before your brain goes to the bedroom, I'm not talking about that, okay? That's a different message out of the Song of Solomon. Talking about something else. I'm talking about the little things that you do to please your spouse, like bring them coffee in the morning when they're still in bed, or make them breakfast, or iron their shirt before they go to work. Now, the reason we wanna please each other is because we love each other. So it's our aim to wanna do things for each other that would please one another. Small example of this is uh, when we first got married, Tim and I both were working two jobs. We were young and we were on a budget and I was the one who did the grocery shopping. So I was trying to please Tim and be like, look it, I didn't spend all the grocery budget. Aren't you proud? Like, look at what a good 20 year old wife I was. Child bride is what I was. And so I didn't want to be frivolous and blow our budget on fancy things like chicken breast and steaks. So I decided, okay, what's something cheap I could make? And I knew how to make chili. And the ingredients for chili are fairly simple, right? You've got your beans, you've got your seasoning, some onions, some garlic. So I would make chili one to two times a week. But guess what? Tim hates chili. And I still don't know if he doesn't like the taste or he just didn't like the effects that it had on our digestive system as a new married couple. But bottom line is, that didn't please Tim. Now, he would do the same for me, not make me chilly, but instead, on his way home from work, sometimes uh, he would think, oh, I should do something nice for her. I'll stop at the grocery store and I'll pick her up a bouquet of flowers. Yeah, yeah great job. Clapping for himself down there. Now, that was sweet, like I totally appreciated the thought. But what Tim didn't realize at the time is that I hate grocery store bouquets. Do I have any ladies out there that would agree? Thank you. I, I would much rather Tim go out into a field and pick me wildflowers than bring me home carnations in baby's breath. Just wasn't for me. Now. It was our love for one another that caused us to want to do things to please the other person. But instead of pleasing each other, we were sort of missing the mark. Now, I would say that most of us in this room love God and that it is also our aim to want to please him. So when we think about pleasing him, we think of in our minds of things that should please God. But many times I think we too miss the mark. I think many times we do certain things that we think will please God. And sometimes the definition of pleasing God for us looks something like sacrifice. Like, I'm working this job and just like Laura shared, I want to be generous. So I, I took this money and I gave to that organization. God, you saw my sacrifice. Look at what I gave for you. 
Or when I got that job offer across the country and I prayed and you told me not to take that job, although it was higher paying, that it wouldn't be good to pull my kids out of their community and the family that they had established here. That was a sacrifice for me. Or sometimes our trying to please God, our effort to please him looks like piety. It looks like, God, do you see my upstanding character? Look at how well I'm serving you. Look at how well I'm living my life, my devotion. Or sometimes it looks like service. Hey, I serve at the food bank once a month. I serve on the guest team every other week. I, I serve my neighbors. I serve my family dinner every single night. And sometimes in our heads, we think this is what please, pleases God. And listen, all of those things are good. Keep doing them. They're even godly. But sometimes we can do certain things while leaving out the most important thing that truly pleases God. The Bible says that we can do all of those things and lack one thing, making it impossible to please him. And that's faith. It doesn't say in Hebrews 6, it's kind of difficult to please God without faith. It doesn't say it's unlikely that you're going to please God without faith. It says it is impossible to please God without faith. In order to please him, faith must be present. So that's why today we cannot escape looking at the life of Enoch, even though it was a simple text that we were given about him. Why? Because it was his life of faith that pleased God. Now, the Bible, I said, doesn't offer a lot about Enoch, but let me tell you some things that it does tell us about him. We know that Enoch was the great grandfather of Noah, who we studied last week. We know that Enoch was the seventh in line of the, in the genealogy from Adam to Noah. We also know that Enoch never died. He was mysteriously taken from God one day, which is incredibly remarkable. We also know that Enoch was a man who both preached and prophesied to the people of his time about the coming judgment upon the earth. Um, you may not have known this, but there is actually some extra biblical text, and it's called the Book of Enoch. Now, this was not in the canon of Scripture, but it has been proven accurate as some of the things that are said in the Book of Enoch we find in the Book of Genesis. And we also find that in the Book of Jude, which is in the canon of Scripture, he quotes from the Book of Enoch. Now, you are so welcome for that history lesson. Now, we're going to go to some more text that speaks of Enoch, that genealogy that I mentioned. Uh, we're going to pick it up. And will you guys do me a favor? If you're following along on the screen or your Bible, sometimes we get bored when we read genealogies. I know you in that Bible reading plan. You skipped over it in Matthew, didn't you? Didn't you? But let's put our, let's put our little seatbelt on. We're going to go for a ride going through this genealogy, and I want you to stick with me. It says this, starting in verse 3 of chapter 5. It says, When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him. In his very image, he named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years. Holy cow. It's a long time to live. And he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth was 100, 
five years old, he became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years. Then he he had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. You still with me? When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enosh lived, how long? Another 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived 905 years, and then what happened? Then he died. And then there was another guy whose name I have a really hard time pronouncing, so we're gonna skip it. And he lived for a really long time, and then he had a kid, and then he had other sons and daughters, and then he died. And then we get to Jared, and Jared is the father of Enoch, and the same thing happened with him. He, well, he had sons and daughters and lived a really long time, and then he died. Okay, you ready? Now we get to Enoch, and it says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years old, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, the reason I made you suffer through that genealogy is because I wanted to point out that we see a pattern in this genealogy. So-and-so was this old, he had this kid, he lived this long, he had other sons and daughters, and then he died. And that pattern is repeated until it gets to Enoch. And if you were to continue to read through that genealogy, you would notice after Enoch, that pattern picks up once again. But something is different about Enoch. Something is so different about him that the author has to break from the pattern and say something different. So what was the difference between Enoch and his ancestors and all of the generations that came after him? The difference was Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Another translation says that Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. Enoch knew God and God knew Enoch. He walked closely in fellowship and communion with his God. Now, that may not sound that profound. Like, okay, cool, he walked with God, move on. It's not that important. But it is pretty remarkable when you understand the context in which Enoch lived. Tim mentioned last week in our study on Noah that Noah lived in a time of great wickedness. And it was the reason why God said, hey, we've got to start over with the earth. We've got to get rid of all these people and start over because the wickedness was so intense. But that wicked generation didn't start with Noah. It was going on long before Noah was ever born. And it was in this life that Enoch walked with God that he too saw great wickedness. If you were to read through Genesis 6 and also would read through parts of the book of Enoch, you would understand that there was so much evil taking place upon the earth. Evil had taken over good. The hearts, minds, actions of man was full of evil. And there was actually a a certain 
being that came about during the time of Enoch, and it was called Nephilim. And they believe that Nephilim, as you study that out, that they were fallen angels that came down to the earth to infiltrate what was good and bring it bad. It was a demonic force that came to influence humanity. And it was in this environment, this climate, this influence that was around Enoch, yet Enoch was said to have been a man that maintained his walk with God. And as we discussed last week, our world is getting progressively darker. And we know that God won't send another flood. We know that the world will continue to get darker and darker as it ages. And we know that it'll stay dark until Jesus eventually comes back to rescue us all. So living in a similar climate as Enoch, what can we learn from his life? And you can write down this question. How can we walk as Enoch walked? When we look at this text, the first thing we find is that Enoch was dedicated in his walk with the Lord. And I don't just know that Enoch was dedicated by looking at his life and the environment in which he walked and he was able to stay walking with the Lord. But the reason I know that is because Enoch's very name means dedicated. He was dedicated. Dedicated means wholly committed, set apart. In a time when others were living to please themselves or please the world around them, and they were involved in all the evil that was going on, Enoch stayed dedicated to the Lord. Enoch continued to walk with his God in every circumstance he faced in every area of his life. But when it comes to us, when we relate our lives to this story, I think that sometimes instead of having our lives look like they're committed to the Lord, sometimes I think many of us walk with God out of convenience. Ouch. Got really quiet. Does it get quiet sometimes when you preach? Yeah. I think a lot of Christians live out of convenience, out of, well, if I really need God because I'm facing a difficult situation, but I'm mostly walking along this life by myself. You know, when I face a, a difficult problem or that tragedy comes about, then, then I'll go to God. Then I'll run to him for rescue. But until then, you know what? I, I think I got it all together. I think I can handle this. And we walk with him out of convenience. Or maybe it's not convenience for you. I think some Christians live under the illusion that we are fully devoted to God. I'm fully devoted to him. But if we were to take our schedules and our calendars and the things that get our attention and our devotion, I think it would prove otherwise. I think if we look at our calendars and think we can ask ourselves, what am I most dedicated to? When you survey what it is that you're doing with your life and what gets your time, are we more dedicated to our education and that job that we're running after? Are we more dedicated to our career or the promotion that we're gunning for? Are we more dedicated to that sports team? Hey, are we more dedicated to the things that please and serve us? Now, don't get me wrong. You can have dedication 
and be going after a goal. But is God the one who sits on the throne? Is he most important? Does he get your, the majority of your devotion and dedication? Again, that definition means to be wholly committed, unbroken. I think if we're going to walk as Enoch walked, then we need to be, have this singleness in our pursuits. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God. So we must be singularly dedicated to him. Now, dedication was only half of Enoch's walk. It was his right boot, if you will. But there is a secondary meaning to Enoch's name. It first means dedicated, but Enoch's name also means disciplined. Enoch was both dedicated and disciplined. So in addition to remaining dedicated to God in this time of great wickedness, he was also disciplined in separating himself from the evils of this culture. In other words, Enoch was disciplined in avoiding the demonic. Now, someone just got really nervous that I used the word demonic. But if you read your Bible this morning in our Bible reading plan, then you know Jesus talked about it too. So we're going to put a little baby pin in that, and I'm going to help you with that word in just a moment. But let me give you a little more context into Enoch's life. If you were to read the book of Enoch, it would read very similarly to the book of Revelation. And you'd see that there's a lot of things happening in the heavenlies. And you'd also read about the fallen angels that came down to the human society to engage with them and influence them. So when we look at the culture of what Enoch walked through, it wasn't just that the people around him, the culture and what the people were doing, wasn't just that they were far from God. No, they were engaged with the demonic activity that was happening upon the earth. Again, somebody just got nervous because I said demonic. So let me help you with that word this morning. Demonic simply means anything that is anti-Christ. Anything that is anti-God. Anything that stands in opposition of God or opposes him. And... I think it's important for us to capture that because we think of that word demonic and we're like, that's like exorcism or, you know, spinning heads. And it for sure is, but it's not limited to that. There's many other things that are anti-God. When we look around, even in our culture today, we live in a society, in humanity right now, there's a lot of demonic activity going on. There are a lot of things that are very anti-God around us. So I don't think we just have to understand this word. I think we need to lean into it for a moment of the age that we live in. And so here's yet another question for you today. Am I engaged with anything that is anti-God? It's an important question for us as believers walking among this earth to ask ourselves. I ask you, what in entertainment are you indulging in? Are we watching horror films and we're like, I just really like being scared. No, it's not just that you are being scared, it's that you're actually opening up your heart to the demonic realm. It's getting serious on a Sunday. Are you into palm reading or sorcery or astrology or reading your horoscope because that too is opening up your spirit to a demonic realm? 
get a little bit more personal. What is it behind closed doors that you're browsing on the internet when nobody else is looking? What are you clicking on? Because here's the truth, folks. You're not just opening up your life to something, but if you're doing it in your home, you're opening your family up to it. And these things sound intense, but what about the simplicity of the demonic, of the anti-God? What about gossip and slander? What about dissension in the body of Christ? Because those two are things that we open ourselves up to the anti-gods of this age. And I think this is important for us to ask ourselves because if we have an open door into that, then this morning we need to do some business and we need to close some doors in our life that are open. Before I was a Christian, I loved watching scary movies. I loved being scared. I loved that adrenaline rush that would happen with fear. And after I became a believer, I kept that habit of watching scary movies up. And I remember going to a movie and sitting there, but I remember something changed. All of a sudden, there was something within me that opposed what I was opening myself up to. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel right anymore. All of a sudden, there was this revelation that that is anti-God, and I had to close the door to that. Uh, not long after that, Tim and I got married, and when we got married, um, we were both wanting to pursue God more, and we were starting to walk with him and read the word and actually apply it to our lives. And there was another area of entertainment that we had to close the door to. Both Tim and I, before we were married, uh, we had a past of lust and over-sexualization, so one day God convicted us and we realized we have to close the door to anything that has any sort of sexual content. So we couldn't watch any shows or movies, not because they were rules we were trying to follow, but because we said, you know what, we've got to close the door to that because that is now anti-God for us. And yo, there's not a lot we can watch still. <laughs> You're like, what do you watch? I know, it's sad, but it's wonderful. Another thing that he and I had to close the door to was the closed door where the laptop or the desktop was facing away from the door and the perversion that lurked on the other side of that screen. That even though many Christians said, hey, everybody deals with it, pornography is something that many people deal with and you know it's it's not that big of a deal even though Christian circles said that he and I said no we got to close the door to that perversion and that has no place because it's anti-God see in order for Tim and I to walk with God we had to be disciplined in avoiding the demonic and we had to close some doors so today, yet another question for you. What doors do you need to close? What do you need to become disciplined in avoiding? Now in this uh, theme of avoiding, I don't want you to avoid this question. See, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's meant to change our lives. The preaching of the word is meant to change us. So I expect that when we come in on a Sunday, we walk out different. So don't avoid this. 
If the Holy Spirit hasn't already talked to you and spoken to you about what doors you need to close, then I want you to grab a scratch piece of paper. You can grab that next step card. I want you to rip it off and I want you to write that question down. Put it in your pocket and take it home. And don't avoid that question. Enoch was an example for us to be disciplined in avoiding the demonic. But his discipline and his example to us, they don't stop there. Enoch wasn't just disciplined in his avoiding, he was disciplined in his pursuing. Because a life of faith that pleases God isn't just about avoidance, it's about pursuit. And my goal as a faithful follower of Jesus is not to just stay away from evil and bad things. My goal is to pursue my God, to spend time with him in the morning, to get in our Bible reading plan and read the word and spend time praying and communing with him and not leave it there, but take the revelation and the things that he's shown me and the way he's loved me into the rest of my day. So that my life and every area of it, every circumstance I face, I would walk with God in it. The Enoch wasn't just known as avoiding evil. Enoch was known as a pursuer of God. I want to share a story that I think Tim or I have shared before. And uh, it's about a friend of ours who used to be very involved in demonic practices and the occult. But God saved him out of that lifestyle. And uh, he went to school and ended up being kind of an amateur actor out here in San Francisco. So we would often commute out here for auditions. And one day he was out here and he had a large gap of time between auditions. So he sat down in his car and he began to read his word and pray and worship. And he spent a couple hours with God. Well, it was time for him to head to his audition, so he got out of the car, and he began to walk down the street. And he noticed that pretty far off down the street that there was a man that was either on drugs or possessed by a demon or a combination of thereof. And the man was yelling things that you couldn't understand, and he was getting in people's faces and yelling as they passed by, just innocent bystanders. And my friend was like, well, I gotta go that direction, so I can't really avoid this guy. Like, so he's gearing himself up for you know, somebody to spit and yell in his face. And as the man gets closer, and he expects him to get in his face and yell at him, the man ended up doing something completely different. Instead of lunging forward in his face, the man was taken aback and he said, whoa, you've been with the king. What happened? He noticed, he perceived someone who was wicked, noticed that he had walked with God. I love this. And when I look at the story of Enoch and I look at these stories of great faith that each person in Hebrews chapter 11 had, they were remembered for something. And at the beginning of this year, I sat down and I asked myself a question, what do I want to be known for? After I'm gone, what do I want my kids and my husband, hopefully I don't go first, I don't know, we'll see, can we die together? That'd be great. What do I want to be known for? What do I want my family and my church family to remember about me? And as I was thinking about that question, a verse popped in my head. Acts 4.13, it says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm probably not gonna be known for my education. I don't care if I'm not known for the goals that I've achieved and the things that I've done with my life. But when I'm dead and gone, I wanna be remembered as someone who walked with Jesus. And I think if I would be really honest, I don't just wanna be remembered when I'm gone, but here upon this earth, when I leave a conversation, or a meeting, or an event, or a dinner party. And yes, when I leave this earth, I wanna be known as someone who was with the king, someone who walked with God. But that's not something I just want for myself, something I want for you. When people think about and hear about the Father's house, I don't want them to think about a group of people that is hunkered down, just trying to get through life, just trying to survive. Hopefully these circumstances won't take us out. I don't want them to think about us as a religious organization that happens to meet on the corner of 19th and Sloat. When they look at us, when they hear about us, when they speak of us, I want them to say, those are people that walk with God. Those are people that have been with the king. Let that be what we're remembered for. Those who walk with God. And band, I want to invite you guys to come as we close today. But as we close, I want to go back to this text in Hebrews 11.6. You can put it back up on the screen. It says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him, they must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. How does faith start? Faith starts with belief. As it says in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with believing that our God set the foundations of this earth that he created everything that we see. He created the world and everything in it. It starts with that belief. But beyond there, it continues with the belief that God loves you, that he so desperately loves his people that he created, but that sin separated us from him. And that he loves us so much that he devised a plan and that he has a son whom he loves, who never sinned. And his plan was to send his son as a spotless sacrifice so that he could be a bridge for you and I to now get to God. By the way that Jesus lived and as he went to the cross and he was raised to new life, he made a way for us. How does faith start? It starts with that belief. It starts with the belief of what Romans 10, 9 says, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. It starts with belief. Faith equals belief. But at the end of that, we read this in Hebrews eleven six, that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards the people who diligently seek him. So if you believe, then you have faith, but guess what? There is a reward on the other side of that faith. And it's twofold. The first reward is 
that we get to walk with God here in this space, in this climate that we find ourselves in, in this earth. He says, you don't have to walk alone. I think many times we walk through life and circumstance and we face things on our own. But he said, hey, if you believe in me, there's a reward that you don't have to do it on your own any longer. That tough situation that you're gonna face, that tragedy that you walk through, you don't have to walk alone. I'm gonna walk with you every step of the way. When others, they leave you, when it's the middle of the night and you're by yourself, you are still not alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, you're not alone because I walk with you. I said it was twofold. The first part of that is he walks with you here on the earth. But the second reward is that you get to walk with him into eternity. Enoch, his life, the simplicity of what we get from him, he reminds us that death has no sting. As Enoch was taken up into heaven and never experienced death, he's an example to us that if we believe and we have faith and we walk with him on this earth, we never have to walk alone, but we get to walk with him to eternity. So church, let us be the people of God that walk with Him. Let that be what's written on our tombstone. They walked with God. Let that be how we live our lives, amen? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I wanna pray for a group of people this morning and I just, I just took you through the, verse six of the simplicity of faith. And how do you believe? How, how do you get faith? You simply believe. So this morning for anybody in the room that would say, I am far from God and I don't wanna be any longer. I wanna invite you this morning to take that leap of faith and say, I believe. God, I believe you are who you say you are and what was just stated of what you did for me. You did that for me. I choose this morning to believe. So if you're far from God and you don't wanna be any longer, will you do me a favor and simply lift up your hands so I can pray with you today? Nobody's looking around. Right back there, I see you. Amen, amen. If that's you, it's not the eloquence of your word or a specific prayer, but I wanna help you make this bold step of faith to begin to walk with God. So if that's you, just simply say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I step out in faith. And I thank you that now you walk with me. I no longer have to walk alone. Father, thank you for every heart making that decision. And right now I pray over the rest of us that we would not leave this message down on the altar in this room, but we would carry it out with us. And we would be known as those who walk with God. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.